Well, welcome back to Patriots of the Core podcast. This is Thad Forrester, and I've got good family friend, not only to me and my whole family, that includes Mark. And this is a special episode today as we recognize the 12th anniversary of Mark Forrester's death. And I've got Doug today to because he's he was a big part of Mark's life from college on and has been close to the family ever since. And we see him regularly, I guess, at least once or twice a year, Doug, you know, with the events anyway, maybe sometimes it's some other things too. It doesn't hurt that he married a close family friend. And so we were able to see each other. So Doug, I appreciate you talking to me this late night and um, willing to share your interactions with Mark, because I want to make sure the listeners understand this is, this is a different one. And I do these every once in a while. And this one's, 100% mark, isn't it? It, it, it is. <laughs> I don't think we'd had to have much qualifications outside of that. So. <laughs> yeah. It's an absolute pleasure. Thad. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Well, the honor's mine. And, and we certainly appreciate your friendship to Mark. And there's things that I probably have assumed that I've known that I don't know. And so I'm curious to get your take on a lot of things with your your um, rooming with him and, and uh, finding out about his death and that kind of thing. Uh, but first of all, Describe where and when, how you met Mark. Yeah, I met Mark in Tuscaloosa at um, at the Tinker apartment. So I married a, married Sarah Tinker, and she's one of uh, six sisters. And Mary and Leah and Sarah were all rooming together at the University of Alabama at an apartment. So it was shortly after his return from his mission. So what that would have been the fall of 2002 I think he came over to their apartment and uh that's when I first I first met Mark I was excited you know to meet him because I knew knew you had relationship with you and heard a lot about Mark and so anyways when he showed up it was nothing like I expected you know he was taller and bigger than I than I thought he would he would be and I think he surprised the girls too and how much taller and bigger that he was as well. It was funny really? to see the looks on their faces. And what about, how would you describe he taller and bigger, but at that point, did he have a, was he a little pudgy? Did he have that baby face? Yeah, he was. He, uh, he's, he certainly was, uh, he wasn't the, the chiseled man that we knew him later in his years. He, he was tall. He was big. He was broad shouldered. Um, but he was, he was thick. Yeah. He could be a tight end and do well. <laughs> So that was the fall of 02. Mark got home in, uh, well, wait a minute. Let's see. Yeah, Mark got home in October of 02, I believe. So then he started school in January of 03. Does that sound right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. And he lived He lived with me at that point. So what was, how did y'all decide to room together and when did that happen? So that uh, that occurred when you took a job in Jackson and moved to Jackson. And then I had a roommate uh, who was engaged and getting married. So I was left without a roommate, which provided an opportune time for us to, to get, get together. And I think you guys still had, you know, another six months left on your lease or something like that. And, and I think my lease was up. So we just said, Hey, let's, because at that point, you know, at that point when we decided we were hanging out a lot more, we had a class together, you know, and so we were building a, pretty good relationship and friendship at that point. And so it felt really good to do that. The first time you met Mark, did he offer any 
commentary that that offended anyone or that was ex- extreme op- extremely opinionated anything like that that you remember <laughs> not that first time no uh were there many other times afterwards sure yeah <laughs> but not in like he was never vengeful he was never hard or bitter like his remarks were never out of bitterness or anger or being mean i think more than anything it was one out of curiosity but then also also being raised as a youngest in a family that were i mean i think you would agree all strong opinions there's a lot of strong opinions about a lot of things so he was free to express those opinions at home and i don't know if it always worked well with me. I appreciated it, but I don't know if it always worked for everybody else and it's <laughs> other social situations. <laughs> no, I think it was a bit much for, for probably the majority of people. Uh, you know, I, I can tell you, Doug, I don't think you were there, but we were at Jeffrey Norris's apartment one time. I don't want to give too much detail, but Mark and I made a girl cry. And this was a little, this was a little too strong. We, the girl was arguing. She said, I don't think a woman should take a man's last name when, when you get married. And so Mark and I just did not like that and didn't agree with it. And so we we cared a little too much about something. I mean, it's not like we were marrying her. It was just, you know, that's how we were sometimes. And she ended up crying. And yeah, we could be a little much, Doug. Well, yeah, especially when it came to that department. Look, y'all were raised by a tremendous woman. <laughs> Uh, and all she, you know, all Mama Pat wanted to be was a was a wife and a and a mom and just a homemaker. And so, and I think that's there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that's a tremendous blessing to your family's life is that she was able to do that. And I think with that strong influence, it's tough to see anything else outside of it. Like I would totally want that for my family too. You know, I think that's those are good righteous things, but it comes a little sharp. When, yeah. <laughs> when there's no no sugar on that medicine, you know? Yeah. And, you know, we on the surface knew that we were a lot to handle, but we we only we didn't really know. We It just kind of like sounded like, yeah, you know what? We're probably a little too strong for most people. And then we can throw Joseph in the mix when us three hung out. <laughs> it got pretty rough. And if we would go to, you know, we went to a water park together a few times and we would always end up hurting someone physically accidentally. You know, somebody out, not us three, hurting somebody else. And, you know, we had fun, but we 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 probably lacked a little self-awareness. <laughs> I think that's part of the charm, really, to be honest. <laughs> uh, well, what, what was it like living with him? It was the best. One, I think because, again, to bring up to your mom, we were spoiled. Pat, like, I didn't realize how great it would be moving in to a Forrester house because Pat, Pat cooked, you know, she, she took care of Mark and I got the spoils and even just a sliver of those spoils was more than I ever experienced in the few few years I was down there before, or more, before Mark got there. And, and so it was great because of your mom. And then, um, you know, of course I got to spend Christmas one year with you guys, which was really awesome and really special. Uh, but it was always it was always entertaining with Mark. He never knew what you got from day to day. He never knew what kind of uh, riled him up. So uh, we, you know, I work. I went to school. I worked, and so I usually got home in around nine o'clock in the evening. So he would be there either studying or 
well, most of the time playing video games or <laughs> watching TV. Uh, and I said, okay, what's, what's the report today? And then he just kind of <laughs> go through a list, you know, there was this preacher. Did you see him over at Tin Horror Hall? You know, he was saying this and I was asking these questions and he wasn't answering back. Like he'd just get riled up or somebody parked in the handicap spot that wasn't supposed to be parked in the handicap spot at work. That really fired me up. And if I, if I saw him, I was, this is what I was going to say to him, <laughs> say to him. <laughs> and uh, uh, so that was always entertaining. You know, of course, all the movies, all the shows, uh, you don't have to read, you don't have to watch it because we repeated them most of the time. So that was, <laughs> that was really fun. We were both very particular individuals. I think there were, I think we were, I don't know if we consider ourselves more mature, but there are things that just annoyed us that younger, like a younger crowd or a younger immature person would do. So we had house rules when we lived together. We agreed upon some house rules and we uh, we believed in, in capital punishment. And so we had a yardstick that we 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 named Mr. Humble. This is a wooden yardstick? A wooden yardstick. Okay. And if anyone violated those rules, they would get a lashing. That's which a, that's was, mature. Yeah. We that's thought we were very mature, but how immature of us to establish that type of rhetoric in a household. So anyways, it became a joke where individuals really started violating the rules on purpose to see if we would come through. And we always came through. We we never allowed them to. But then it became a joke to where they just it just got ridiculous. And people were really on purpose trying to break rules, which was like talking during a movie when you're really not supposed to talk during a movie or, you know, what other faux pas at the time there were. I, I don't I don't know. It's just silly stuff. Who was so that somebody was that liked it, that liked to get, I'm thinking maybe A-Train or I don't know, Daylin or. Yeah, they, um, both of those. Yes, definitely. Okay. The girls, the girls really liked it too. They liked pushing <laughs> our buttons as well. And they'd really like to see if we, we would follow through. And yeah, we did. They got lashings. <laughs> <laughs> no one was injured. Uh, and we didn't get sued. Um, and we didn't get kicked out of school. So I guess it was okay. Did you ever hear him talk about uh, team impact? You know, the big bodybuilder guys that would go to, they would a lot of, they would work with churches a lot and they would be like, I love fear and Mark do it. It's like, I love Jesus so much. I want to rip this phone book in half. Yeah. I'm going to break the center block with my head. Cause I love Jesus so much. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So we'd watch, I mean, we've watched the silliest crud that you could, I mean, Terry Tate. Yeah. Definitely. That's a great, you know, one. uh, stuff like that, you know, and then there was all, the, you know, we also, there was a time where, um, we were, when we were living together, the state of the union dress came on and, uh, we, we both made a point. Like we talked about it before. Hey, the state of the union dress is on. We need to be here together and watch it together. Like it was important for us to, to have that experience together. And so we did. And so we're watching it. And uh, if you're familiar with the state of the union address, whenever, whenever your guy is saying something that is really great, their guys stand up and clap. So there was points where the president was saying things and the good guy stood up. That's when we stood up and we stood up in our room. We, we clapped like we were part of the, the part of the state of the union address. And then when they'd sit down, we'd sit down and we'd listen to the rest of the thing. And then they stand up 
clap. We'd stand up and clap, and it went on for the entire State of the Union address. <laughs> but it fired us up. We were we loved it. It was a cool experience. So yeah. Well, I was part of some of those with Mark too, and I can see him right now standing up and clapping as <laughs> as W was speaking, for sure. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Hey, there's one story, Doug, that I'd like some, if you can help me out with, because I, I, I now am not sure if this something, this is something that I saw or Mark saw, because if it's, if it's something I saw, I wanted so badly to share it with Mark and I never was able to. So tell me if you know, I know that it happened driving across the bridge, that newer bridge that went from um, Rice Mine Road to um, Jack Warner, or maybe what used to be called River Road over there, kind of close to our house. Mm -hmm. And I I keep thinking that either me or Mark saw a man in a truck with a mattress in the back and a big lady was laying on top of its spread eagle to hold the mattress down as they drove over that bridge. Do you know that story? Did that come from Mark that he saw it or did it come from me? And it was after Mark was dead and I wished I could have shared it with him. I don't recall that. I wish I could confirm that for you. I, I really don't recall, but but of course, one of you guys would have would witness that. I mean, I, the the universe was very kind that way for y'all to see stuff <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, that's. I don't know. I know it's like I, at least I've wanted Mark to be involved in that so badly that I've convinced myself that he was. I'm just not sure. Well, what about the his talk about joining the military and his preparation for the military? Yeah, so when we were living together, I don't think he had a real strong, keen understanding of what he was going to do quite yet, where he was going to go. I think he there was obviously a very strong interest in it. And what I mean by that is that we did talk about the different branches of, of the military. We watched military documentaries. We watched Black Hawk Down probably 374 times, talked about it. We talked about what their jobs were the significance behind it. We talked about uh, some of the rigors, you know, that these guys go through special, especially in the special operations stuff, the, the training that they go through. I think we watched, you know, the Navy SEALs documentary on Discovery Channel multiple times, you know, together, just fascinating things like that. So it really wasn't until I think he was living with you in the house that you, you had in, you know, Northport, and I think he he went down to San, San Antonio with Joseph and Joseph went and showed him, I think the PJs working out. And then they went over and I saw and think I think he heard something about the combat controllers. And I think it was after that. After that, I remember coming over to your house Sunday, Sarah and I coming over and he just showing me video after video of combat controller stuff and what they were doing. And he said, that's what I'm going to do. I know this is what I'm going to do. It's the hardest. It takes a lot. And, uh, I'll, and, I, and I'll be able to affect a lot. Basically, I'll be able to kill a lot of bad people, which he wanted to do and felt like God told him he, he, he needed to do. At that point, Mark was probably already physically, he had already changed quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he had started working out when we we're not started, but I mean, I think he always tried to work out when he was in college. But um, when we, when we lived together, it seemed like he had a more stringent schedule and working out like lifting weights and and a a little bit of cardio, nothing like I think when he lived with you and he knew exactly 
when he was doing it, but he worked up to that. Yeah, you know, and I and I think when he was living with you, I mean, he was, I mean, he was working on his swimming, his running times. I mean, all the stuff that you would have to pass in order to, to yeah. be, you know, make it through that pipeline type. Yeah, that's definitely a regret of mine that I didn't join him in some of that more, and I think he wanted me to. And I felt at that point I was just like, yeah, I play tennis every Monday night, so I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tried to. I mean, when I lived with him, you know, we'd go work out in the mornings, but I, I just couldn't, I couldn't keep up with him. You know, I just, I didn't have the drive. Like, I think deep down in his mind, he knew what his end goal was, even though he really didn't know it at that time, which kept him going harder than to me and I'm like uh, I think I'm just gonna sleep in today you know I need to study rather than take the time to you know go work out or something mm-hmm. like that well and I think well, there's a lot of people that don't realize this Doug is when Mark lived with me at first so right after his mission when he moved in with me they're on Hargrove Road at the Palisades I think so he lived with me a few months before school started and he he was lazy in, in my opinion, I mean, he he did spend a lot of time on the couch and a lot of time playing game video games. And it drove me crazy for a little while because I was working at that time full time. And he was already he had been fired up about 9-11 while he was on his mission. So uh, over a year prior, he he hadn't really started his in his physical training yet. Uh, but by the time, yeah, at this point now, we're looking at like 2000 and five and six and he was he was a, di- a completely different man yeah it remind you know i recently listened to your podcast your read broadcast of with kyle defore and him just and him describing what he was like that last year and a half of high school or i guess his junior senior he was just a machine like it was just running it was push-ups it was swimming mm-hmm. you know all those things it's just i think that's I realized, man, that was Mark. Those those years that you referenced there, 2005, 2006, like once he knew exactly what he wanted to do, there was no stopping it. Like he was going to he was going to achieve it. He was going to knock down every barrier, every wall in order to achieve what his goal was going to be. Yeah, it's amazing. It was it was inspiring. Well, and to go from because he and I used to race quite a bit, whether we were out throwing the football or, or whatever, and I could outrun him there for a while. And at some point there in 05, maybe 04, I'm guessing it had to be 05 or later, he, I couldn't keep up. And he actually blow me away. Mm-hmm. I was amazed at how much faster he was than me. And, I, of course, there was no, I never stood a chance, you know, once that happened. Yeah, so he came home. He was probably, what, 230 pounds, I think you referenced at one point. I think so. so what did he get to? Do you know what he was at, you know, his fighting weight at? Doug, I don't. I, I think I put it in the book, but it was all estimations. It was less than two thirty for sure. Um, he was trimmed out. His his shoulders broadened. I mean, I'm guessing he was about two fifteen or two. Yeah, I'm guessing two fifteen though. What do you think? Yeah, probably. I mean, I mean, he gained so much muscle during that uh-huh. time too. So and I remember he bulked up a little bit during times in in the training, and sometimes he trimmed up. And but yeah, probably I'm guessing his biggest point when he was in in the pipeline was about 215. I have to double check that maybe with Johnny or Bobby. They might know. So what about some of your final communications before he actually left for basic training? 
before he left for basic, you know, I was, I was newly married and that's all, you know, that's, it's fun and exciting and it's pretty self-absorbed. So we didn't, we didn't talk as much right before he went to basic. Uh, I don't really remember any significant conversations right before he left. You know, I, I remember him leaving and really, honestly, the next thing I remember is that he's, I'm seeing pictures of his graduation from basic. That's really how quick in my mind, you know, that happened. It wasn't until he was in his pipeline training and a little bit further into that to where we connected again and talked a little bit more. Well, what were those conversations like when he was in in the training? It was all really, it was me. I was so curious on what he was doing. What was the training what was, you know, what was the next step? So a lot of the conversation was around that. Um, there were some things about, you know, the makeup of, of military life and what that was like, which really didn't bother him. You know, he was a pretty amenable guy. I mean, he could really adapt to a lot of situations. So that wasn't hard for him. Um, I remember, I remember during the swimming in the water stuff that I remember him telling me after he passed it, he said, Doug, I almost didn't make it. Like this is this is the point of that of that pipeline or whatever. I don't know the terminology, but this is the point where I thought I wasn't gonna continue. Like that was the first time I ever heard him like relay and admit that this could be a possible an end to what my my goal was. So that was a little I was like, oh, okay, this is really, you know, it's really hard type thing. And then uh, I remember talking to him after he went, uh, I think, did he go to Washington state for senior school Mm -hmm. and some of the stuff that they made him do out there? He said, you know, it's just like the woods in Alabama, you know, nothing I've really didn't experience here. I mean, of course there was different games and things like that, that they had to do. So I remember discussing that stuff with him, but all that stuff was fun for him. Like he loved it. He loved being out in the ocean scuba diving. You know, he loved being out in the in the woods. He loved pushing his body. So it was a lot of, yeah, it's hard, but I absolutely love it. All those conversations were basically him just telling me he loves it. He's succeeding. It's hard. I'm making some good friends. I love my training, stuff like that. Do you know if the, the swimming part that he said that was tough, do you know if that was combat dive school? Um, is it the one where they give you a hard time in the pool? Like they're ripping your mask off and I think so. Yeah. That one. Yeah. Okay. Did he ever, did he ever tell you like, uh, I think I may die or I thought I was going to die today. Yeah. Especially in that. Cause you know, he was underwater so long, you know, uh, I don't know if he was taking in water or something like that, but it was, I don't remember all the details, but I remember him having an experience where one, he thought he'd die and he thought he'd fail. Yeah. Cause I know that that was a portion, Doug, uh, that wasn't that I submitted to AFSOC too. And it, uh, what I put in that portion of the book was Mark thought like he felt like every day he, he may die. And they asked me to not put that in the book. And I don't think I did. I think that's one of those, you know, most of the time I, li- I did as they asked anyway in most cases. And I think that's one of them. I removed it. All right. So when it gets close to deployment time, was there any uh, farewell party or something that you were part of before he deployed? What did we have at your house? Was that a, was that a deployment party? 
I think so. Yeah, it was a birth. I think it was a birthday, but it was the birth. Wait a minute. Doug, I don't know now. I have to go look at the pictures. I, I feel like it was a – it had to be before he – We did that uh, video. You know, we did a, a montage of him. You yeah. Know, pictures. And, of course, we had the Rocky song in there and all that stuff. And I think so that was for the, basic training. I think it was. Right. You know what? I think it was. Because it was your house. Your mom and dad were over there. Yeah, I think it was for basic training. Yeah. So, yeah, I do remember that. We cooked out. We we had that video. We showed that video. Sarah worked on that thing, I think, until 4 a.m. You know, the next day, timing the pictures to the every beat of the music, you know, to go through. Yeah, that was a great job. Yeah, I appreciate you doing that. But what I remember the most about his deployment to Afghanistan, I, I was in Haleyville for Christmas. He was there for Christmas. And, um, you know, I think he had finished his, what do you call it, his upgraded training or something like that, his training before deployment. I don't know, whatever that, whatever he, yeah. extra training he gets over at Pope. Anyways, he was back from that and we're just there hanging out, talking. There was one moment he's like, hey, Doug, you want to go shoot guns and, and test out this, uh, <laughs> test out my night vision stuff? I'm like, Yes. <laughs> Let's do that. That sounds like a great time. So he had two sets of night vision goggles. Now, I hope this doesn't get him. In. Well, he can't get in trouble now. But anyways, he had that stuff, and we went out and we shot pistols into the into your the back forty there, and and had the night vision. And after we unloaded all the magazines and had a great time, I took the opportunity. I was very worried, and I I was nervous about asking him. Asking him about um, when the bullets started flying, I said, hey, I wanted to say, Mark, when you come back, I really want to ask you very specific details about what it was like to have a bullet fly through your, you know, by your head to see things blow up, for you to blow up things and for you to kill people. Like, would you mind me ask, like, I asked permission, when you come back, would you mind me asking those questions? Hey, so. I don't care. You can ask me. You can ask me those questions when you come back. That was a big deal for me. The other part of that, the reason for me wanting to ask that is all of my, you know, I was a history major and the last two years of my degree, I was basically studying wars and the effects of wars on individuals and on the enemy and on the, the allies and the psychological effect and the, the tremendous you know, burden that these individuals held for many, many years, I was worried that Mark, you know, that it would affect him in some way. It would be damaging to his psyche. And would he be able to function normally after it? I mean, those were real concerns of mine. And I expressed those to him. And he's, he looked me in the eye and with all the confidence and without batting eye, he said, Doug, I am 100% completely confident in my training. I have been expertly trained. Now, I don't know how I will react when the bullets fly. Like, we we don't know that. But I know I can trust in my training, and uh, I feel like I'll be fine. And I said, okay. I saw that look, and I said, okay, I feel, I discern he's good. Like, he's, he's going to be okay. And it wasn't until he was deployed, he was at Cobra. It was probably, I don't know, July or August we're Skyping and uh, 
he comes on the camera, legs kicked up on the desk. He's got a bowl of Cheerios in his, you know, on his chest, eating a bowl of Cheerios. And he's like, hey, man, what's going on? And uh, <laughs> I'm like, I'm doing great. How are you? He's like, man, it's great. I think he shared a little bit of the story of what he could from his first, from his silver, silver star situation. But I think. No, bronze star. Bronze star. From the bronze star situation. Yeah. So that was, I think, August, early August. So he shared a little bit of, of that experience. And um, I feel like I talked to him before then. I feel like I talked to him before then because we, we, he talked about using his grenade launcher. He said, if I have to use my grenade launcher, it's a bad day. So when I got on that call, I'm like, hey, did you have to use your grenade launcher today? He goes, no, it's, it was a good day, actually. But let me tell you about this day, this bad day that I had. So he shared all that. And then the same look that I saw in his eyes in December, I saw in his eyes that August afternoon, morning, I don't know, whatever time it was for him that, yeah, he's been shot. He's been in some very precarious situations. He's probably killed individuals at this point. He's got his feet up eating bowl of Cheerios, and I discern he's going to be okay. Like, his training is taking over. He's doing a good job. So after that, I I really didn't think of anything. Like, I didn't think I would have to worry about anything else later on. With okay. Him, psychologically. Yeah. How many times did y'all Skype while he was deployed? I mean, not long. Uh, probably maybe four at the most. Not Not a whole lot. When was the last one, Doug? It was August. I think it was the one in August. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't think we had any in September. All right. So are you ready to move to September 29th? Is there anything you want to talk about before then? Um, no, no. We okay. Move on there. So how did you find out about his death? Yeah, Sarah and I were at home in the evening, uh, working up in our office or our bonus room, organizing some things. And Jana, her sister, called her and said, did you see Joseph's post on Facebook? And Joseph, I don't remember exactly everything Joseph said, but he ended it RIP little brother. And Jana was like, is he saying what we think? Well, we think he's like, is he saying that Mark's dead or is he talking about a, a teammate or somebody else? Like she just didn't know. And so Sarah said, call Thad. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'm going to call Thad. And I called you and uh, I said, that is a true. And you said, yeah, it's true. Uh, he was killed. And I, I think I just said no multiple times. And uh, I said, I can't believe it. I don't know what I asked after you after that. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely didn't want to take any more of your time. I didn't want to ask you questions or burden you with anything. I was just, I think we, I don't know. You might've been on your way to A-Little or something at that point. Yeah, know? I think so. I think we were on our way. Roz was driving and I was on the phone for, you know, a lot of that anyway. Okay. From what I remember, I don't think you and I talked long. No, it was a pretty short conversation. Yeah, it was pretty short. So then, Doug, we, when did you get to Hay Level or what was your next move? We got there either, I think, Friday night 
I think the the night you guys were in Dover, you guys flew to Dover. So that uh, was Thursday came, night. Thursday night. Thursday. So we got came Thursday or Friday. I can't remember exactly. Uh, we were there. You know, the next time we came back with you guys is we came to mom and dad's house and we watched the Florida game. You know, family got together and we watched the Florida game uh, and hung out there. And I think part of that day, we had a lot of your nieces and nephews over at my in-laws house. I think there was my niece's birthday party. And so we invited all them over just to kind of give, I think, all the adults a break a little bit. So we had everybody, you know, okay. Joseph's kids, David and Christie's kids. This um, was the before the funeral. This is the Saturday after yeah. his death. Okay. That's correct. Okay. Yep. And so, yeah, we, we hung out with them for a little while, had that birthday party. And then we all came over to y'all's house and we watched the University of Florida game. And we just hung out there through the entire evening, really. Yeah. So what was the next, you know, first of all, I guess, what were the next several days for like for you, Doug, up until, you know, the funeral? Uh, they were crappy. You know, there was there was a lot of uh Dis, you know, unbelief, disbelief of what just happened, denial. Uh, There's anger. There was, of course, sadness. There's a lot of sweet moments of consoling, you know, family and talking about that. Of course, a lot of tears, a lot of hugs, a lot of prayer. Yeah, that just a lot, all just every single range of emotion that I think a friend, a close enough friend uh, to the individual, to the family could have could go through is what we went through at that time me especially yeah what is something that stands out doug when you think about that period of time maybe even up till after the funeral after did you go to the memorial and pope no i know some of the tinkers did uh yeah just i think uh yeah canela and leah okay went uh to that so no i didn't go to pope we actually stayed stayed back i think we just worked around your mom and dad's house. I think we just start, we just started like just doing stuff. Okay. It might've been just, I don't, we might've been doing yard work and the girls were cleaning the house and the boys are outside, you know, blowing the driveway stuff like that. I don't know. Washing cars. Um, That's what my memory is telling me. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, But I think the next thing I remember is um, getting to the airport early in the morning when Joseph uh was with mark in the airplane okay they had that dignified transfer there at a hailable airport and uh we were behind you guys i think we drove follow i think that's when he went right to pinkard right at that point to the funeral home i think so i think we followed you guys to, to there and i just remember and i know you make mention of this a lot of times but just being profoundly sad but also profoundly proud of uh, the town of Haleyville and the supporters to see the streets lined with individuals uh, waving the flag and um, paying their respects, being there that early in the morning and going through that. I'd never experienced that. I mean, you see it on TV and everything like that, but once you really experience, you really begin to appreciate the single sacrifice that an individual like Mark makes compounded by by thousands of individuals before him that have made similar sacrifices. Like all that came to my mind where I'm, you know what, this is why a lot of these individuals 
serve and are passionate like Mark are is for, uh, and it's for many reasons, but, you know, just seeing the people respect that, I felt profoundly proud and relieved, you know, that they were respecting him in that way. Mm-hmm. It comfort, it, it brought a comfort, really. It really brought a comfort to see that. Yeah. What are some things that's, that stand out to you, Doug, now, especially after 12 years, and maybe you've gone through some, some old emails or some text or some journal, you know, journal entries of yours. I mean, what, what are your thoughts and memories that you would like to share about him? Well, first I just want to just, what I remember a lot is how generous you, your mom and dad and the rest of the family were with some of us, what I call outsiders uh, and allowing us to be a part. Like we weren't vying for any attention. We weren't vying for stuff, but like one particular instance, your mother called Patricia, my mother-in-law, and and said, "Hey, um, if you guys want to go down and give like talk to Mark by yourself, you can. We want you to have that opportunity to, to do that." And I just thought, man, here's here's his mom just experienced this tremendous tragedy and she's thinking of others to have this closure with her son. And, uh, I just thought how wonderful, how special, how, um, how selfless of an act that was for her to, to reach out and say to do that. So Sarah and I took that opportunity. We went down to Pinkert's and he was in that one viewing room and, the casket was open and we were able to just talk to Mark. When was that, Doug? When? Yeah. I think it was before the the actual beginning of the uh viewing, you know, before okay. all the other patrons showed up. It was okay. it was before that. And it was after you guys, I think, had spent some time in there. So I, I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm a conjecture. I'm not really entirely sure, but yeah, it was somewhere between before that. Okay. That, that viewing. So yeah, we went and spent that time in there. We could spend as much time as we wanted, you know, in there. So yeah, we did. And I mean, I remember that didn't look like Mark. You know, he was at that point, you know, a lot of stuff had been setting in and things like that. And it it just wasn't him. Yeah. And not even the not even the full the shell of him that I really you know, always knew him to be. Yeah, I know Bobby speaks of it when he saw him in Kandahar that, you know, it looked like Mark, but that was just so fresh. But this was, you know, obviously later down the road, it wasn't. It wasn't yeah. Like yeah. You know, it took so long to get him back. And then he was, you know, they, they, they took care of his body at uh, Dover, I believe is where they did all the, you know, the embalming and the haircut and all that. Yeah. Uh, so what else, Doug? What about what? Go ahead. What about maybe a, a, um, his impact on you or anything else you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean, it was, um, of course, the family, you guys being so generous with your time. But then just I think I was just in so much disbelief and denial. I think I had just so many, so many questions I wanted answered about the situation. I, I wanted to know every single detail of what happened and 
how in the world could someone like Mark, I know that may seem ridiculous for other people, but how could he so expertly trained uh, doing exactly what he thought he knew he needed to do in life, right? Why was that cut short? You know, why, um, if this was what he was meant to do and succeed in doing it, why, why is this stopped right now? You know, cause I never, before his deployment, I never allowed myself to think of not seeing him after the deployment. Like I, it just, for some reason was never thought in my mind. It was always, he goes on deployment, he comes home, we hang out and it's just like old times, right? I just never allowed myself to think he could die. And so I think I was just constant, just trying to reel with the, those feelings of, okay, he's actually gone. Now what? What's my relationship going to move forward? And, you know, all these selfish things that how is this going to affect me type thing that I'm kind of embarrassed to admit. But really, that's just honestly what was going through my mind is I've just lost a friend. I've lost years of opportunity of sharing his life experiences and my life experiences together. I so look forward to that, uh, to staying close to him through the rest of our lives. And that was gone. Mm hmm. If you had have spoken at the funeral, which you you would have been a great speaker, what would you have said? Golly, I don't know. I, I mean, I would have tried to do my best to share with individuals, like capture Mark and articulate what he was in my mind and what I viewed viewed through my lenses through the you know few years that I had the opportunity to know him, how he interacted with his family, how he interacted with, with friends and what type of influence he was to individuals, especially later on when he was so determined. I think I would talk a lot about his perseverance. I talk a lot about his, he had pride in a lot of ways and in, in things that you, I think are justifiable and, and good pride, but he was so selfless. And he was so curious about so many things, uh, which made him so lovable to a lot of people. Uh, and so I think I would try to articulate that and, and, and maybe share some things about that. I, and of course, it's fitting, you know, that he died saving an individual, trying to recover an individual. He lived his life outside of his military life in a selfless way. I, those that are close, you know, we saw some selfish sides of, of, of Mark, but as a whole to society and to the majority of his friends, to the majority of the time, he was completely selfless. He almost embodied, I don't want to project and I don't want to exalt him. I, I think he would be very uncomfortable, I think, with a lot of the attention that he's received um, after his death because he was such a chill humble dude but i never experienced an individual like mark previously to meeting mark to where he possessed all of the good attributes that you really want to see in a person like it's really rare to see multiple really good strong attributes in one individual there are individuals that have parts of those attributes but he he possessed a majority of the good attributes and since his death, I haven't experienced 
anyone like Mark that possessed multiple really good, strong, favorable attributes. It's very unique. And like I said, I don't I don't want to exalt him to, to what he was. He had his faults. We all know that he had his faults. But I think that's one of the reasons why Bobby and Johnny and Ish and Chief Markham and a lot of his superiors talked the way they did about him because I think they saw those same things that we all we all knew. So I think I would try to say something to that effect as well, that he was very unique in his character. So combine that with a mission, combine that with killing bad guys, you, you set him up to be a really strong ally for, for good. Yeah. <laughs> to do, to do, do a lot of good stuff. Well, and Doug, you, you just led me into then, made me think of that episode of Coming Home, you know, that Lifetime did. First season, they did one episode on Mark. Very unique episode compared to all the other ones and compared to the format of the show. But they interviewed you and Scott, Bradbury, and Brad Knight. And will you, will you share what you said there when when the host asked you about, you know, what did what did we lose? Man, that Mark? was hard to do and uncomfortable. Golly, that's just not a fun situation. But I was happy and and. Glad. Was it because you were shooting basketball beforehand? <laughs> yes. It's not my sport. We should have been taking batting practice. Yeah. I know. Um, Doug hates basketball. Yeah. It's not, not my jam. But anyways, <laughs> I think, I, you know, I think I said something to the effect of, you know, the world lost an honorable son, an honorable brother, a very loyal friend, an ally for God, country, and family. And I meant that. We did. Like there was, there's no one else that you would want on your, you you would want Mark Forrester on your team. No matter what you were doing, you wanted Mark on your team. Because he would, he would be that positive reinforcement. He would be that uh, you have fallen, you have him, you feel yourself being picked up because Mark's picking you up. You go off and say something that you're not supposed to, or would be unsavory or not appropriate. He called you out. He said, that's not appropriate. Right. I mean, there's not a lot of individuals that have the integrity, the moral authority to correct other individuals in those situations. But Mark had that, you know, because he 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 lived his life in a way that allowed him to do that sort of stuff. No one has told me since Mark, he's never they've never used the word snide. Like, "Ah, don't give me that snide remark. I haven't heard that from anybody since. Since buddy boy, <laughs> Doug, what about any, any dreams that you would want to share dreams? Mm-hmm. And you may not want to, I just throwing it out there. I don't know about dreams. I know more of impressions that I've received. I know one in particular shortly after his death, I was at the Birmingham temple just sitting there and uh, felt and was impressed very clearly in my mind that the mission continued for Mark. And I felt like I was led into a little bit of what he was doing and how busy he was. I saw a smile uh, that was clear as day. Um, and the impression was so strong. And it was as if he was, he didn't, he didn't say anything to me, but he was looking me directly into the eye 
And it was as if we were communicating one with another uh, at that moment. And uh, it was so strong, so impressionable that the next time I saw your mom, I, I told her about it. I don't know if she'll remember it or not, but I felt like I needed to tell her what I was impressed with what Mark was doing at that moment. No doubt she appreciated that. So I look forward to talking to her about that now. I mean, it's I, I can tell you that there was, I would describe it as some frustration from mom and from me, probably everybody in the family. I just can't say for sure, for certain. But, you know, people were telling us, hey, I had this dream about Mark or I had this impression. And we were, for the longest time, we were, well, why aren't we getting something like that? I know there, and there's a lot of, we could talk about that forever, you know, so we always appreciated it when someone had an experience like that, you know, and shared it with us. And I know that there's some people that would be afraid to share it, but I would say if you have something like that, share it with a loved one. And so thank you for doing that. Yeah, you're welcome. I, yeah, I haven't shared it with anyone, but Sarah, your mother, and just you just now. Yeah. Okay. And now <laughs> thousands of other people, millions more, <laughs> <laughs> millions I, of wish, more. I wish millions more. <laughs> okay. So, so Doug, I'm going to, I'm going to move on to the, the foundation, unless there's anything else you want to talk about, about Mark. No, I mean, we could go on for hours talking about Mark, but what, what else would be pointing other than just to say that he was my friend. He was loyal to me. I did my best to be loyal to him. He was significant in my life at a period of time where I was deciding that would change the rest of my life uh, to where I would uh, marry my spouse. And so he was significantly important, intimately involved, and uh, very, I would say, critical in helping me receive the imp enough information to receive the inspiration to marry Sarah. Like it. it I needed to be in that apartment with Mark during that time to get myself to the point of trying to ask whether I need to marry Sarah or not. That's good. And I know that's some of that is in the book that you shared. We started the Mark Forrester Foundation quickly. I think it was officially established in December of 2010, I think. What is your role with with the foundation and, and our events? Uh whatever pop and Lauren tell me to do <laughs> whatever your dad and Lauren want or need me to do. You know, I'd like to stay behind the scenes. I don't like any, and I don't like, I don't like to be out in front or I'm not a promotion guy. I don't think so. I'm just, Hey Doug, we need you to do this. I'm happy to do it. I'll do it. Uh, so I don't know. I'm, I'm your miscellaneous guy, whatever you need me to do. I do. Yeah. You do a lot. And there's a lot that you do that we don't know that you do, especially I know from earlier years, but uh, you're a big part now for sure of the golf tournament. And we didn't start that until 2016 or 15, something like that. Yeah, um, I don't remember exactly the date. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I remember Lauren coming to my brother-in-law and myself, Jay, and said, Hey, I got this idea. I think it would be good to have a golf tournament. And we both play golf and we find every, opportunity and excuse that we can to to say yeah we want we can play golf so we thought we thought it was a brilliant idea whether it was a good idea or not us playing golf was a great idea so yeah we went <laughs> we thought it was yeah we thought it was good so yeah i i'm passionate about that i really like doing that 
I think it's an opportunity for individuals who don't like to um, do 28 mile rep walks or to hurt them, you know, to, to run yeah. uh, in Haleyville, you know, to, to come support the foundation and to have a good time in a golf tournament. So uh, I get, I get really excited about that every August. Yeah. Uh, it's a great event. I love it. I love what it's become and it's, it's, I think it's improving, you know, every year it has. And so thanks for your work on that. I'm glad you and Lauren started that <laughs> or y'all had you're, the idea anyway. You're welcome. It was, I mean, I can't take any credit. It was, it was Lauren's idea for sure. Is there anything, any weakness you want to share about Mark or anything in closing, Doug? Well, Mark, Mark's self-proclaimed weaknesses, I think, would be uh, dairy, his shoulders, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, his fairy shoulders and his, his fairy peel. Yeah. Um, I still have some in my in my truck, by the way. I hope you would say that. That's awesome. And by the way, uh, one year after one of the walks, I would guess, it, I'm going to say it's probably 2011 or 12, one of Mark's teammates needed one of those Omnigest pills. He was in, he was hurting in a bad way after the walk, and I said, "Look, I've got some of Mark's in my truck. They're a little expired." And he took one. They weren't too expired at that point, but they're very expired now, of course. Yeah. Okay. So go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I think. I mean, would he consider? Would you consider an obsession with Chick Fil A a weakness? No, definitely um, not. No. Uh, <laughs> Bluebell ice cream, would that be a weakness? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, video games. I mean, even though I think I think the hours that he played Call of Duty and the hours he played uh, Halo prepared him in some weird way for his job to process multiple tasks at once, I think I think prepared him in a way for combat controlling, you know, to, to be able to command, you know, different situations, I think in a weird way. So was that really weakness? I don't, you know, I don't know. I really, I never played those things with him. I never did. Uh, I didn't have any desire to, but I absolutely loved watching him play Halo and Call of Duty. Like, did he yell much while oh, he was playing? Did he yell much? He yelled all the time. He yelled all the time. Okay. It was great. Uh, it was, it was fun. It was more entertaining. Like I would pick that over watching a movie. Like that, just just play your video game, Mark. I, this is entertaining for me. So other than that, weaknesses. I, I mean, you know, I I don't know if that. I it's tough to pick on the guy. You know, uh, did he was his legs too long for close quarters? Yeah. OK, that was annoying. <laughs> I know you I know that annoyed the fire out of you at church, especially, you know, y'all would come in and sit down next to me and there'd just be two chairs, no buffer chair. And, you know, Mark sat his legs were like that. <laughs> and you're like pushing his opening him. You're like pushing his legs, things like that. I, that's pretty funny. So, uh I can't really name any any strong weaknesses, really. No. Uh, thanks for that memory. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, you and I were talking earlier, Doug, before I hit record, and you were talking about how it's taking you a long time to to read the book and to listen to some of the podcast episodes. And I think that may be common for people that are close. You know, and even though I, I wrote the book, published in 2013, I haven't I haven't read it front to back you know, since putting it together. 
And I've started recently within the last few months, been reading it to the boys at night. And I, I just wasn't ready, I guess, either. And that's how, I mean, that's a long time. That's, that's 11 and a half years. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you wrote the thing, right? Yeah. And part of it is I can't stand to, I, I, there's, you know, there's things in there I wish I'd done differently or, you know, too many footnotes and, or, hey, there's another error. I mean, there's a lot of things. It's just the same reason I won't even, I won't watch my speech from the funeral either. But when I look past that, I'm like, wow, you know what? That is really good. I'm so glad my boys can hear that. I'm so glad that I wrote that down when I did because I wouldn't have remembered it now, but I'm glad because it was fresh and I remembered it then. And and so I'm very thankful to have that record, which is what I wanted is a record. Didn't matter about anything else. It's a record of his life for, if no one else, for his family and his loved ones, friends. So, yeah, I think it. Uh, sometimes I guess it takes a while, Doug, but that's interesting to hear that from you too. Yeah, it, it's just... Um... I don't know. I couldn't put my I couldn't put my finger on it, really, of why I didn't want to do that. I mean, I just because those are hard emotions, right? I, do I want to relive that tragic moment where you find out your friend is passed away? That's just difficult, and especially an individual that had such an impact not only on my life but so many people around me. Like it just wasn't my life that he impacted. It was people that I was extremely close to that he impacted which is, I think, unique because uh, we are such a tight bond. I mean, we're a tight family. My fam, my extended family in-laws are very tight with you guys. And so, I mean, y'all grew up to each other. I mean, I, I, I watched I watched hours of home videos of, of y'all as kids, you know, at my in-laws house or at the church or whatever. And so, I mean, I felt like I've been part of your years of Mark's life for many years. And then, you know, I just didn't want to open all that stuff up, uh, which is extremely unhealthy. <laughs> and I don't recommend it. <laughs> yeah, I think you point. face those things head on and, and work through those emotions. But I'd never experienced anything remotely close to that in my entire life. So I, I had no idea how I would react to that. So now through time and being more mature, I regret those decisions. And I look forward, I really, really look forward to diving further into the book. Now, I've shared the book lots of times. I've given a lot out, and I tell them to read it. But even myself, like, I, I can't, I couldn't read it at that time when I was doing it. So it's kind of a strange situ situation. But I look forward to, you know, going through all the podcasts again and hearing all the stories from his teammates and his superiors and all the things that I was missing in my selfish desires to experience with Mark when he came home. I'll be able to experience through the eyes of other individuals, which uh, so far has been satisfying. What are your thoughts, Doug, of the grave desecration that happened less than a week ago? Mark's grave. Sad. I was extremely sad to think of an individual so off base and confused and demented in a way that would possess him to do something like that. So I, I felt a sadness. Now I know in my household, there was a lot of anger. And uh, if there was a call to a militia, we would be the first ones in the line to join that militia. You know, there were things, things expressed like, Hey, why don't we find this individual and then have them, have them spend a month with Bobby and then a month with, with Ish and then a month with, 
uh, Johnny and just kind of see, kind of see what that does for that individual, you know, or, you know, some other things that we, we thought of. I just can't, yeah, I just, I just couldn't believe someone would do that. And not only to Mark, I mean, he did it to what, 20 other Graves or she, I don't know. Do we know who did it yet? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think the other ones were nowhere near close. Uh, physically, geographically, they were not anywhere close to Marx. I don't think. The Marx was interesting because it, the only flags that were shredded was the flag of Mark, Mark's picture on it. That not one, the that Alabama flag, picture. not the. The U.S. flags were not shredded. They were just, they were all broken. They broke all the flagpoles, maybe ripped some of them off the flagpole with those little staples. The Alabama flag, I don't think it was ripped. I, I may be wrong on that. Huh. Um, but they they broke, you know, and then all and the metal poles too, they bent those all over and and a little bit of damage to the flowers, but the mark flag was ripped to shreds, the one with his picture on it. Yeah, like I said, a lot of anger here, and there was a lot of discussion of what type of justice that individual would receive a lot of illegal justice, but a lot of justice <laughs> that individuals should receive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's just hope it doesn't happen again. Did you guys replace all that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was done quickly from what dad told me. Do we have anybody <laughs> in the shadows? We Stay need to, <laughs> there might have to be a camera put out there. Yeah. Uh, they had already talked about that even before this happened, but yeah, I mean, uh, uh, we we may come back bigger, bigger and better, you know, bigger, more <laughs> more flags, bigger flags. I think that I think that's the Pat Forster <laughs> way. <laughs> All right, Doug. Well, it, it's been it's been great talking with you, and I know that my uh, family will enjoy it, getting your perspective and your friendship, and and also your advice is um, is really much appreciated. By me, uh, you know, even this cap I've got on, um, I remember I talked to you and Jay about it, you know, along with Joseph and for these new Jag 2-8 caps. I appreciate your input there. And, and you're what I've gotten two compliments wearing that cap out in public. Good. I actually thought you might have it on tonight. So well, I thought, yeah, I'll wear mine. I just didn't know if I knew that you were going to wear yours, I would have worn mine, I guess. <laughs> Doug, well, anything you want to say? Yeah, Any... thanks for having me, Thad. I mean, it was... It, I remember, I remember distinctly listening when you released the podcast of you and Joseph, when you did a, a special one like this with him. And I, I just, I remember when you, when you had that and I listened to it and I was like, oh, golly, that's, that's rough. I hope I'm never asked to do this. <laughs> <laughs> like, I hope that doesn't ask me to do this. Uh, and that was several years ago. I think that you did that with yeah. Joseph. So thank goodness some years have passed during that time, but uh, I'm I'm truly grateful that you asked asked me to do it. It's been um, kind of another sacred time, you know, thinking about those experiences with Mark, and you know, a lot of those experiences that I have with Mark, I share with Sarah, you know, because we we were really good friends, and then we were really then we were married, and so when I was with Mark, Sarah was with us most of the time too, and so it was really a precious sweet thing for us to to discuss those things again so i appreciate the opportunity of doing that thank you yes sir you know timing is everything yeah, yeah. all right god bless you buddy appreciate you 
Right back at you, pal. We'll talk to you soon.